And now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who can answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question? At 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug Linda and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North Carolina, and thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewis family. That's Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, and Deborah Lewis. And I'm Linda Lewis. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we are the Lewis family here to help your family tonight with any financial questions you have. Call us tonight on the open lines, and we will address your issues. Well, I I believe everybody's been enjoying this wonderful weather that we've had. It's been four or five days of just gorgeous weather. Exactly. Pure sunshine. Well, <laughs> I think I'm, we're almost at 90 degrees. <laughs> well, of course, you know I'm happy because I can put my top down in the convertible, and that always <laughs> makes me happy. Yes. <laughs> well, Doug... I want to, before we get started this evening, I just want to bring everybody, all our listeners to the attention of our new website. Please go and see the new website, DougAndLinda.com, and it's totally new. You'll see videos of us. You'll see uh, recordings, and we have uh, just gone live. The new website just went live uh, two days ago, so go on it. Check it out Visit and it? give us your feedback and let us know what you think. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, Doug, I saw an interesting article in Morningstar regarding the bucket portfolio for retirement. And, uh. Lynn, hang on one second. I think we've got a caller on the, on the call, calling in. I think it's, his name is Anthony. Is that you, Anthony? This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can we help you? Yes. Um, so. I heard your introduction and uh, about investment strategies, and I have, um, ten, you know, a, a good amount of money saved up, and it's just kind of sitting there. And I've been trying to figure out what to do with it. And I heard you say, you know, you you are involved with investment strategies, so I'm kind of in that situation where I, what do you suggest? I do with this money. Should I put it in the stock market or are there other more effective ways to get the money to grow more rapidly than just having it sit there in my, in, in a checking account? Well, the first thing to realize, Anthony, is that you're very fortunate you haven't lost it. So be encouraged. It's not going down, but there is a very big difference between just investments and financial planning. Uh, what, well, financial planners such as 
We are the Lewis family. We include money management and investments and we've been doing this for over 30 years. I guess to begin with, Anthony, tell us a little bit about your situation. Are you single or married? I am single. All right. And I, I'm, I have a, uh, a well-paying job. Um, What's your annual income? It's $50,000. Okay. Age? 27. All right. Anything in retirement plans? Uh, nothing like that. So you don't have a 401k or any an IRA or anything? No, I do not. Okay. And any personal assets? Um, no, I mean, just I have a, I own a car. Okay. Yeah, no, I meant um, investment assets. No, this is great. Okay. Well, that's a very good point to begin. <clears throat> when we begin financial planning, Anthony, we always look at, first of all, the financial statement of a client, and that financial statement is assets and liabilities, what you own and what you owe. So assets, which is what Deborah just asked you, fall into two categories. There are investment assets and use assets. A home would be a use asset. A car would be a use asset. A stock or a mutual fund would be an investment asset. So let's go forward a little bit and find out. Now, you say you've saved some some cash right now. How much do you have accumulated? Um, $40,000. Okay. That's very commendable, by the way, $40,000, and you want to know how to start an investment portfolio. Is that correct? Correct, yes. All right. And the $40,000 is not in any type of retirement account like an IRA or a 401K. It's just in a checking account or a savings account. Correct, exactly. All right. So the first thing we want to do is we want to realize that there are risk reduction methods of protecting your money, at the same time, giving you the best chance of the money growing. A couple of things that you don't want to do. You don't want to buy any annuities. You don't want to buy any life insurance products. You don't want to buy any uh, real estate. What you want to do is you want to find men like Warren Buffett, uh, money managers who are very successful in the world of investments, and then these managers, they manage what's called mutual funds. Are you familiar with the mutual funds? I, Someone has discussed with me the option of mutual funds. I don't know a lot about them. So. All right. Well, picture a stock, which is a piece of paper, which has no value of its own. The only way you make money with this piece of paper is if you sell it for more than you paid for it. That's a stock. doesn't matter whether it's a stock of IBM or whether it's a stock of Dunkin' Donuts. A mutual fund is a giant pool of money where there is a manager who owns a whole bunch of stocks on behalf of all of the investors like yourself. So you put in your money, your 40000 somebody else puts in 50000 and many of these mutual funds will have 10 or 20 or $50 billion and hold maybe 100 stocks, and the manager is, think Warren Buffett again, the kind of person who decides which ones to buy and which ones to sell. So now in a mutual fund, you're betting on the manager, not the stock market and not the stock. Okay. So, so I think that's a lot safer for you to go ahead. Now, it is true that you might make more money by going out and buying a stock on your own. But by the same token, you have a much higher chance of losing your money. So we don't think you should do that. Now, the next thing okay. you should realize is there are 
different kinds of mutual funds according to different kinds of risk. You want to be in mutual funds that have the least risk, but with the greatest growth potential. Right. And that's what we call growth and income funds. A growth and income fund is a mutual fund where the manager is restricted to only buying blue chip stocks of companies that produce dividends, which means they're successful companies like uh, General Electric, AT&T, IBM, and so forth. And they tend to be bigger, older companies that have had years of history of being uh, of having a dividend-producing stock. The second okay. thing you want to realize is you want to find mutual fund. You want to find more than one fund. I wouldn't put the whole 40000 in one fund. Even though a mutual fund diversifies by a bunch of stocks, I think you might be able to get maybe two funds or three funds. So now you have two or three different managers. Okay. And, and third, you only want managers who are active managers, not passive. And what I mean by that is you don't want index funds where the manager just buys all the stocks in the particular index and you're sort of floating along, going up, going up, down with the index. You want an active manager who has a track record that you're able to analyze before you invest. And this okay. track record should be that they, the manager, has been on that mutual fund. So that the track record of the fund is that person's track record. You also want to see the track record, how he or she did during the worst of times, 2008, most mutual fund managers lost a lot of money, but how did he or she perform against them? Correct. They may not, uh, they may have lost money, but not as much as other peers in their group. So, you know, there's a lot of analysis that goes in, um, Anthony, and it would be uh-huh. my pleasure if we're not on the air, I can give you, um, specifics. Um, but in general, these are very good guidelines for you and, and other people. Um, but it's the manager. It's, it's, it's making the investment choice based on a person who's going to be buying and selling for, on your okay. behalf. Two other things that occur to me, Anthony. Number one, you don't want ETFs. ETFs. ETFs, okay. Yeah, you hear about them a lot in the press today. They get, they, they seem like they're a hot idea. Forget about it. They are a mutual fund look-alike that trades on the stock exchange up and down, and so that's not what you want. You want something that is much more traditional and conservative. Other thing is what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. You're making 50000 a year. How much do you have surplus at the end of each month, or would you say, what what do you have over your... Living expenses. Yeah. You know, once you've paid the bills, what's left in checking? Um, I should have looked into that. It's probably, let's see... It's probably about $1,000. That's wonderful because at 27, you have, if you put that $1,000 into a mutual fund every month for the next 40 years, it would shock you to see the how much. The multiple millions yeah, that you would acquire well, or accumulate. I don't want to use any numbers on the air. When you, <laughs> when you come in the office and we do meet in the office, we will right. be happy to meet <laughs> we with you. We can do a hypothetical. We'll, mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends upon what it's going to grow at, what True. the managers have done. But, but with you, 40 years, 40 you have years, power. The power is time. So if you write down our office number. 919 
972-7000. Okay. And you call the office. We will schedule a meeting to meet with you, and we will go ahead and take you through a financial planning session and lay out everything that we think you should do to where you can have your years laid out in a proper way. Yeah, we really salute you. We think it's great that you've accumulated, and it it might be time to, you know, work with a financial advisor that can help you position this and educate you a little bit more uh, regarding your financial world. All right, excellent. All right, Thank thanks, Anthony. All right, Anthony, I look forward to talking to you uh, either later tonight or tomorrow. Give us a call, 919-872-7000. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget to call the Lewis's right now. You can give them a call. Our listener line is 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783. So I forgot to mention earlier before Anthony's call came in that those people who schedule appointments with us this coming week, such as Anthony, will get a free copy of one of three books that we feel are suitable for you. It will either be Wealthy Barber, Middle Class Millionaire, or Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. We have enjoyed giving free copies of these books away to clients that come in for their first meeting. Yeah, okay. So now, Deborah, Linda, I think you were asking a question right before Anthony's call came in. Oh, yeah, it was in regard to the article you had seen in uh, Morningstar, Linda. Well, that was about uh, the bucket portfolio for retirement. Oh. Did hmm. you see that article? Well, I didn't see the article, Linda, but I do know quite a bit about what is called the bucket portfolio theory, and uh, it offers some very serious challenges. You know, on the surface, bucket retirement portfolios look straightforward, easy to maintain. You simply segment your portfolio by your expected time horizon. You choose your cash flow extraction method, and then you sit back and just enjoy the money coming at you. And you have three buckets, a taxable bucket, a tax-deferred bucket, and a Roth IRA bucket. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work. Most actual real-life retirees know that it's not quite so simple as that. Complications begin immediately. If it's a husband and a wife, then you can't mix her retirement bucket with your retirement bucket. And nobody likes to see their buckets of draining just because it looked good on paper to drain one before the other one. No, that's not it. And I'm so glad that Morningstar and others are saying what we've been saying for a long time, that the bucket approach doesn't work. What does work is a human a certified financial planner like Deborah Lewis, right, Deborah Lewis? That's right. This is what we do. This is what we do. It's helped design, you know, saying where the money needs to come from in theory and then actually having it practically out come out of the portfolio is what you, we, you and I work on with clients. That's what we do every day. We are designing the portfolios. We're uh, investing the portfolios. We're extracting income on a monthly basis to those that want it and so forth. And uh, the bucket philosophy is only designed for people who well maybe you know maybe a good way to put it is is in theory it's it is a good way to accumulate on paper on paper and in theory it's a good way to take money out on paper and in real life call us at lewis financial management 919-872-7000 well doug linda um 
There are a lot of questions that people ask, and I thought I would bring a few of those to our listening audience this evening. In case you are thinking about setting an appointment to come and see us at Lewis Financial Management, here are some things that I am going to I'm going to ask Doug and Linda to give us their feedback in regard to some of the things that you might want to ask before meeting with a financial planner for the first time. Linda, um, what could you think of would be your first piece of advice in regard to meeting with a financial planner for the first time? Well, a person, uh, one of the essential questions that a person should ask themselves is, what are your financial goals and what are your personal goals? It's important that whoever you use as your advisor, and if you come to meet with us, it's important that your financial planner understand where you, the client, see yourself in the short term, in the long term, and your advisor will determine and record what these personal goals are when you discuss them and what your financial goals are depending on what stage of life you're at. And then from there, said actionable steps such as saving more, you know, like our our recent caller, Anthony, saving more money or shifting uh, your investment strategies, having a second look at where your portfolio is at and what should you do next? Yeah, working with an advisor can always help motivate individuals to keep sight of their goals. I know at Lewis Financial Management, Mm -hmm. we are constantly in all of the meetings with clients looking at what meet, what were your goals initially? Where are they now? Are you achieving your goals? Have you exceeded your goals? Are you maintaining your goals? And so forth. And actually, there have been surveys done recently that found that baby boomers who work with certified financial planners as advisors are twice as likely to feel confident about having sufficient retirement savings as those who are trying it on their own. So first thing, Deborah, to mm-hmm. answer your question, first thing is, what are your financial and your personal goals? All right. What would be another question that you should ask yourself in preparation for meeting with a financial planner for the first time? What is your financial fitness? That's what I would call it, financial fitness. In other words, when you go to that first meeting, you want to bring key financial documents to see your financial fitness. You want to include brokerage statements, 401k statements, in, and tax returns to this first meeting. And then you want to make sure that at this first meeting, there's some type of analysis of the paperwork to build a strong understanding of the financial state before making any recommendations. Well, very good. At the end of the meeting, well, how do you know what comes next? Let's say you've met with the financial planner for the first time. You now have uh, your first meeting under your belt. What and how do you define your next steps? Well, at Lewis Financial Management, what we have done for over 30 years now is able to be identified as an anagram, an anagram called EGADIM, E-G-A-D-I-M, EGADIM. At the end of that first meeting, we want to have now an established relationship. What is the relationship between the client and us? And, you know, in our office, we actually implement this in, in the form of a written. Here's an outline of what we promise to do for you as our client. That's right. Once we know what the goals are, then we go ahead and write it down as what is the relationship between us and you. Yeah. Then next Second, week, go ahead. Well, right after the E for Egadim comes a G, and that means that we gather a lot more information. We want to see copies of your wills, of your trust. We want to see uh, a lot of more information that we want to gather 
uh, after we've met with you. So that's the G of Egadim. That's right. And then A, we analyze the data. That's right. We analyze. That's the A. We analyze all the data that we've asked you to bring us, your tax returns, your financial statements, your brokerage statements, and so forth. And only then do we go to the D of Egadim. Which is to develop the plan or develop the recommendations. We develop a plan. That's right. We develop a plan with recommendations in that plan so that then comes the eye of Egadim. We implement the plan and most importantly, we monitor the plan. We stay with you all the way month by month, year by year. So after that first meeting, there is Egadim. Establish the relationship, gather the data, analyze the data, develop a plan, implement the plan, and monitor the plan. Well, I want to say it is wonderful to be here on WPTF, on News Radio 680 WPTF. And last week was a wonderful week. We had a tremendous family reunion. Didn't we have a family reunion? We did. <laughs> 22 people in our house. That was really something. And everybody I've never had, a- had that many people sleep in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody had different financial situations between my brother, my sister, and my kids, and my. It, it was it wonderful was listening awesome. to all of them. It was and awesome. It was, you know what was really interesting, Linda? Because we are financial planners, and our children grew up in the. And you know, I saw Deborah's high school uh, graduation, oh, high school graduation <laughs> videotape, yeah, from the 1980s, and right on it, she said, "What do you want to do when, when you, you grow when, up? Well, you no, know, when you achieve, what do you want to achieve? Uh, what were your um, goals in high school? And it said, <laughs> "I want to be." A certified, certified financial, financial planner. planner. So it should have said in parentheses, just like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this, this is the world that we live in. And so it was very comfortable discussing all these things with our nieces, with my brother, my sister, my kids. It was really good. Yes, it was, it was. wonderful. It was fun. And, you know, our hearts go out to all those of our listeners that have lost loved ones. You know, I also, we also went to a funeral this week. We had two clients. And we've, you know, we've, we've, uh, grieved the loss of two of our lovely clients. And to all of our listeners, if you have recently lost a loved one, or if you have a spouse or a relative that is terminally ill, we are thinking of you. And, you know, these are very tender times. Uh, when you're planning, uh, if you've, if you've had the loss and, and recently become a widow, or maybe you ha- have a relative or a spouse that is terminally ill and the time is forthcoming. And so you may have questions about your situation and don't wait till the last minute and take time to, to make videos and hear the stories about your family and friends. During these tender moments. But anyway, our hearts do go out to, to you and your loved ones. And I just wanted to say that because, yeah. you know, it, it really pulls on your heartstrings. And, and as Doug said earlier, financial planning starts when you're someone young like Anthony in your twenties. And it goes, it courses through your whole journey of life. And whether it's that first job or maybe it's a promotion. And then from there, it goes on in, Everyone has a question. And so if you have a question, write it down and call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh. Call the Lewis's right now here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Our listener lines are wide open just for you at 919-860-9783. Call right now. Your financial future is at stake. Call right now, 919-860-9783. 
Well, Doug, Linda, um, this is also June, or it's right around the corner. <laughs> and as we all know, June tends to be a month of weddings. So, Linda, I know you had some um, helpful pieces of advice tonight for young couples uh, or just couples who are marrying for the first time and uh, not other types of rela- uh, of situations, maybe second marriages and stuff, but just basic advice for couples marrying for the first time and in the realm of prenups. Uh, what would be the rule number one as far as what people should consider in regard to prenups? Well, in love and marriage, there are several rules that, that uh, newlyweds should look at. Uh, if they are considering a prenup and, you know, it's important to know the guidelines that you can consider, which is know who can benefit, right? That's who right. Who can benefit from having a prenup? That's right. That's right. Because it's not just the ultra rich who can benefit from a prenuptial agreement. A prenup is, a, it, it sounds it's just a word that stands for a prenuptial agreement that an agreement between the husband the future husband and the future wife that they sign before they get married <clears throat> but these days people are getting married later in life which means that prior to marriage they may have created or sold a business they might have received an inheritance they might have received a valuable gift from a relative or they might simply have been very good at saving their their money and so uh who can benefit from a prenup? You know, several years ago, I heard of a secretary at a law firm who told me she and her husband lived in the house that her grandmother had given to her, which was worth a few hundred thousand dollars. And then, unfortunately, they later went through a divorce. And because this house was the marital home and they were married several years living in it, she had to buy her husband out of her grandmother's house. Well, a prenup would have taken care of that. So I agree the first thing to understand, the first rule for prenups is to know who it can benefit. All right, Linda, what would be rule number two? Well, it goes without saying that it if you're going to have a prenuptial agreement, get started early because people tend to become stressed and emotional as the wedding day is approaching. And adding negotiations for a prenup to that stress can certainly cause tempers to flare. And typically what happens uh, once you've made the decision that it's something that you need so that if you have a home that you want to preserve in the family, then typically people call to inquire about prenups four to six weeks prior to the marriage. Actually, in in my experience with clients through the years, I have always asked clients to consider four to five months before the marriage and a lot of times I'll meet with both the, uh, the, the husband to be and the wife. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The bride and the groom, the yeah. fiancés. Yeah. But to explain that, uh, why it's a wise thing. I would say rule number three is address the embarrassment factor. And this is probably the most hard one to, um, uh, but easiest one to get out of the way. Marriage is a legal agreement that brings with it many rights and obligations. And a prenup is a smart measure simply because, unfortunately, a high percentage of marriages fail. So a dose of logic can help diffuse the stress of this 
whole uncomfortable or embarrassing uh, situation. And you just need to understand that it's if it's about a particular financial or family situation, it's that that is necessitating the prenup agreement and not the quality of the relationship. You know, more people have prenups than you think. And um, even people have post-nups. But um, rule number three to me would be just address the embarrassment factor. We need to deal with this so that we don't end up in a in a more complicated situation uh, if it, it can be avoided with a prenup. I like that very much because embarrassment is the most common objection I've had when I brought it up to clients. But the fourth rule I would say is always be respectful, be flexible. Every prenup should create an agreement that a client can live with comfortably during during the course of, of, of your marriage. You want to find out what's important to your relationship. Priorities might include being able to live in the marital home or having access to money without having to ask or being able to maintain a certain lifestyle. You know, if your spouse uh, asks you to leave a job and once these issues are identified, then solutions can be tailored to address them in your prenup. So I think it's a good thing to bring up because we know about 50 percent of marriages do not make it. And so it's much better to have everything worked out ahead of time. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. Let's take Betty's call. Betty, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi. I have a question about how much in our circumstances we should spend for a home in this area. Okay. How old are you, Betty? It's my husband and I, and we're in our middle, later 40s. Okay. And we have a combined income of about $70,000. All right, 70000 combined income. Both of you working? Yes. Okay. Any so children? One that's independent. So no children uh, living at home. Right. Really, it's financial planning for dinks. Dual income, no kids. Right. Right, okay. Uh, and that's a category of financial planning. Financial planning for dinks has its own set of, uh, of parameters. And you've got a combined income at 70000 What are your living expenses running, Betty? How much do you have left over at the end of every month? I would say we have at least $1,500 left over each month. Okay, so you've got $1,500 excess each month. Right. All right. How much are you paying for rent right now? Uh, about $700. $700 a month is what you're paying for rent. You've got 1500 excess. Now let's talk about your, first of all, job security. How safe are both of your jobs? There's no sign that they're not secure. Let me ask you now, what does your investment portfolio look like? What do you presently have in non-retirement investments? We have about $150,000 cash. All right. That's about it. So you have no, no no investment portfolio at all, just cash? Right. All right. Now what do you have in your retirement portfolios? We have um, probably about $150,000 also, maybe maybe dollars let's say $170,000 at this point. Right. Did you all just sell a house or something we before did. you moved here? We That's did. Right. We, we just sold a house. Okay. How much did you sell the house for? Um, for about $95,000. Ninety-five thousand, and what? Uh, all right. So, so some of the money that you've got came from the house, but also right. some of it has just been this fifteen hundred monthly excess that's been accumulating. Yes. Okay. Uh, I would say that the first thing that bothers me about your situation is you have no investment portfolio. 
which means that if you're in the 40s, you've got money locked away in retirement plans that you can't touch for another 20 years or 15 years, and yet you don't have any investment portfolio that can support you. So that's the first thing to think of. Okay. Now, the second thing to think of is what can you do to accumulate? Well, you can do two things, and you need to plug these two things in when thinking about the house. The first thing is you can think about a pay-yourself-first investment plan that will go ahead and automatically be investing for you the excess monthly income that you're talking about. The second thing is that the home that you buy should be bought with the least amount of cash, meaning the, the smallest down payment. Okay. So, uh, now when we put these three things together, I personally think that if your income is only at 70000 combined, I would not go above maybe a $120,000 to $140,000 home. Okay. That's the range that I would go in, okay? I would try to stay as low as I could. It's just the two of you, so you don't need a real big house anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd go ahead and maybe try and put down 10%, or if you had to put down 20%, the question is whether you have to pay PMI or not, and that would let you set aside the balance of your 150000 cash to begin an investment portfolio. It would be nice if you could try and keep your mortgage at your present rental income. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If we could get it, and my only thought there is that I'd like to see you use that 1500 monthly excess because that's a very powerful asset that you've got that will accumulate for you probably close. Well, I wish I could do it real quick for you. I can't, but you are going to accumulate a very large amount of wealth in the next 20 years at the rate of 1500 a month. That's a big dollar figure when you put years onto it. And that's where I would focus all of my attention. Okay. Without anything more specific in front of me and no computer here, that's the best advice I can give you. If you'd like to call my office and set up an appointment, I'll go ahead and actually review the specific numbers with you and gather some information if you want. All right. Yeah, and that number, Betty, in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay. And I'll be happy to send you, you know, some information if you have any further questions. And thank you so much for calling. All right. Thank All right. You. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're answering your calls on 680 WPTF Open Lines. So if you've got a question, call us at 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. Cellular callers, star 680. Well, Doug, Linda, I think Betty's question is one that is out there for a lot of people, whether or not you have just recently moved, sold a home, and now need to make a decision as to uh, what to do and where to go next and, you know, how to how to make that move. Or let's say you... Um, you didn't make it through the financial, the, the real estate crash, and, and you are now wondering whether or not it's the right time to go back in. Always knowing some good guidelines based on the other areas in your life help make the question of how much house should we take on? But a real good question. We hear it a lot. We do. We do. You know, another question um, in regard to newlyweds uh, is, you know, some of the estate planning things that they will bring up. What kind of estate documents do I need is usually a good question. Linda, what would your advice here be? Well, it's important to take uh, the following actions. Visit your human resources department 
For most young adults, your employer manages both your life insurance and your retirement accounts. So, if you're a newlywed or you're getting married soon, then you may need to to visit this HR department and update the beneficiary uh, designations for both the life insurance and your retirement accounts with the name of your new spouse. Yeah, it's tragic when the widow or the widower discovers that the late spouse's parents are still named as a life insurance beneficiary because they never changed it. A simple change to the beneficiary designation form could have prevented that outcome. Yeah. Doug, what would be your second essential uh, estate planning uh, directive for um, newlyweds? Well, I like to think that you need to review life insurance itself, the needs, the life insurance needs. Workplace life insurance can be limited. If a couple depends upon having both incomes to pay for the rent or the mortgage or to maintain a certain marital lifestyle, then maybe additional life insurance could be warranted. And also, what's the cheapest kind of insurance to get? And in some cases, to determine we don't need any insurance. That's right. Uh, so maybe you uh, have enough assets, and you don't. You that's exactly right. So review life insurance. The third thing, though, is very important: execute your wills. I see a lot of young couples that do not have wills, but even young newlyweds without many assets should execute basic wills that leave all assets to their spouse. Without a will, state law dictates where certain property passes when an individual dies, and uh, not all such laws leave 100% to the spouse, so I think it's very important to have a simple will. Yeah, here additionally, if newlyweds have a prenuptial, which we were just talking about, they should execute wills to reflect the terms of that agreement also. It's important to understand that signing a prenuptial agreement is not enough. The estate plan must mirror what the agreement provides in the event of the death of a spouse. And Linda, what would you say is um, the fourth rule? A fourth rule is get durable powers of attorney and a health uh, advance uh, directive. Absolutely. Marriage does not give a spouse the absolute right to make decisions for the other in the in the event of incapacity. So to ensure that the spouse is the one who can make the medical and legal and financial decisions, each of the newlywed clients should execute a durable power of attorney and also a health care power of attorney or a medical advance directive. And then this will provide them with the ability to make decisions for one another in case of a tragic accident or any other unexpected incapacity. And in addition to make, uh, to naming the other spouse under these documents, they, do, they should also name an alternate in the event of an accident where both of the spouses are injured. Right. And I guess the last thing about newlyweds and what they should do, you know, many times these days we're finding individuals who have bought a home prior to marriage. So then after the wedding, it may be advantageous to change the home ownership from being owned by only one of them to both of them. Either could be joint property or tenants by the entirety, which can have the advantage of avoiding probate. So I think discussing the home ownership documents would be the last advice that I have for these newlyweds, Debs. Well, you know, Doug and Deborah, I, w- I had another thought here as I was uh, reviewing uh, these points, that if, if as a young couple or a newlywed couple, if you happen to have drawn up for you, along with the will, if you have a revocable living trust drawn up, make sure 
to transfer any assets into the name of the trust. Wouldn't you say, Doug? Absolutely. So if you happen to have some investments that you own jointly or that maybe you someone gifted stocks to you, make sure that you re-register those assets, those investments into the name of your trust and also any real estate like your home or a beach house. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management during the week at 919-872-7000. We'll be happy to answer your questions or make an appointment with you for your financial planning introductory meeting. Well, Doug, what's new in the um in the economic world? You know, smaller economies are offering bigger returns in the emerging market sector and that is getting a lot of attention. Investors are finding bonds with big yields and stocks that beat the S&P 500. And it's just uh, a surprise to many that it's outside the U.S. in the emerging markets area. Now, investors so far this year have already poured in over $16 billion into mutual funds that track emerging markets, stocks, and bonds, as well as those that are tracking China, and India specifically, and that information comes from Morningstar, of course. Yeah, this is um, probably um, timely because, as we recall, in the last year, uh, the international mutual funds didn't weren't in favor. That's so, right. So, seeing the cyclicalness is no surprise. Seeing that um, Morningstar, a respected. Uh, you know, periodical is, is saying that also. On balance, um, another footnote they had was, or another note they had was that investors are finding bonds with plumper yields than their miserly counterparts in the developed world. They're also finding stocks that beat the 3.4% delivered by the S&P 500 so far this year, which is uh, not as striking as the six-year bull market that regu- they regularly posted, yearly gains topping 15%. So it's this, it's this cycle that we're seeing. And diversified emerging market funds are up on average about 7% this year. Call the Lewis family right now for Money Matters. You can call our listener lines are open at 919-860-9783. Don't wait. Go ahead and call right now. You know, interest rates are so, so low in the United States that investors really have been looking for better yields in other countries, among other places, and emerging markets are serving that purpose. Uh, And that's just logical. That's logical. They've been one of the destinations of choice, and they have attracted a lot of investment flows. But economic growth is now greater in India than in China where a high-flying stock market seems to some investors inconsistent with the short-term prospects of the world's second-largest economy. So we're seeing that uh, not to be afraid, not to be afraid of what's happening overseas. Uh, with continuing low U.S. investment-grade yields, investors seeking better yields in other countries are going to, I believe, push those funds that invest in emerging markets uh, into a very good position this year. Yeah, we've recently heard from two well-respected um, money managers uh, that they believe that um, the emerging markets is where where there there will probably be a lot of growth more than the um, U.S. They're expecting more than the this U.S. Year. in this next twelve to possibly twenty-four month time frame. 
So it just gives us a little update on the cyclicalness of things that are in favor and out of favor. And um, you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question, call us on the open line with your question at 919-860-9783 and visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. Well, let's take another call. This is Doug Lewis, Steve from Raleigh. How can I help you? How are you doing this evening? All right. Uh, question is, I'm age 25, just starting out basically, um, have a salary around 35 a year, and just wanted to know, in order to get started with a financial planner, uh, what basic information you would need for me to uh, to do that process. A financial planner should go ahead and request what we call the five keys. In our practice, Linda sends out a, a, a letter saying, return the five keys. And those five keys are, and they should really come in before the first meeting, at least in our office, we ask them ahead of time. The first one is a statement of all your assets and liabilities. That's everything you own and everything you owe. It can be a regular financial statement or it can be written on a piece of yellow paper, but it's a list of all that you own and all that you owe. Okay. That's number one. Number two, a list of your living expenses. That's very, very important. And Linda usually sends out a form that will help you fill in a living expense sheet, but that's very important. Number three, income. A statement of what you expect your income from all sources to be for the current year. Number four, your tax return from last year. And the fifth key is your withholdings so far this year, either through quarterly estimates or through withholdings on your pay stub. Those five keys will give me as a financial planner or any other financial planner a, a an ability to get a snapshot of you and to decide uh, whether you need to go further with financial planning. If so, then the planner will want to see all the other things, insurance policies, wills, trust, business returns, uh, retirement accounts, and so on. Does that help, Steve? That sure does. You got the five keys. That's it. That's what I needed. And, I just call your office to get those. Yeah, Steve, before. I can send you the packet. So if you'll call me at 8727000, I'll be happy to send you some information and, you know, maybe you can get into some of the basics. That'd be great. All right. Thanks, thanks for, for calling. Bye-bye. Thank you, Steve. Well, Doug, I have a question for you. What is a stretch IRA? You know, a lot of people are confused about what's a stretch IRA. A stretch IRA can actually help stretch out the tax deferral to a younger beneficiary after the account owner has died. Now, <clears throat> we need to understand that a stretch IRA is a traditional IRA that passes from the account owner to a younger beneficiary at the time the account owner dies. We're seeing a lot of large IRAs these days, three-quarters of a million dollars, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars because people who might have worked for 30 or 40 years accumulating their 401K and then rolling it to an IRA. So we have these large IRAs, and now the question comes, well, what happens when he dies? Since the younger beneficiary now has a longer life expectancy than the original IRA owner, he or she can stretch the life of the IRA by receiving smaller required minimum distributions each year over his or her life. That's the younger life. More money then can remain in the IRA, which really is a tax-deferred environment. Now, this only has to do, by the way, with a 
non-spousal. Very good, Deborah. Mm-hmm. Non-spouse. All right. But if it's, let's say, uh, we're leaving it to a child mm-hmm. or the first uh, spouse has already died. Now, creating a stretch IRA has no effect on the account owner's RMD requirements, which continue to be based on his or her life expectancy. So once you're over 70 and a half, we know that you have to have a required minimum distribution, which we call an RMD. So when you create a stretch IRA, that doesn't have any effect on what your RMD is as long as you're alive. But once you die, beneficiaries begin taking RMDs based on their life expectancies. So where whereas the owner of a stretch IRA has to begin receiving RMDs after reaching 70 and a half, the beneficiaries of a stretch IRA, they begin receiving theirs at the time of the second owner, at the time of the first owner's death. But uh, it's a very powerful tool. It may not be suitable for everybody, but that's what a stretch IRA is. And by opting to take only the required minimum amount, the beneficiary can theoretically stretch the IRA and the tax-deferred growth of that IRA throughout his or her entire lifetime. And that's the real power. You know, you've enhanced the ability to stretch IRA assets um, that normally you would have to receive and immediately pay taxes on. That's right. You know, this is a benefit to take advantage of, you know, that the IRS does provide to us. So uh, if you have questions about that, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. It is wonderful that over a person's lifetime, they accumulate in a retirement vehicle. And I think the stretch IRA is just one of those vehicles that helps because after a person dies, then the beneficiary, as you said, Deborah, would have to immediately pay the taxes. That's right, Lynn. At their tax level. You know, a lot of people aren't clear that there's no problem for a spouse. If a husband dies with a $2 million IRA, he leaves it to his wife 100% tax-free. It rolls into her IRA tax-free. But if she passes away, then... The heirs, the children, as an example, they would normally have to come up with a huge tax. Uh, so the stretch IRA plays into that very well. Now, moving to the other side of the age spectrum, I did see an interesting uh, article in the Wall Street Journal by Jason Zweig. And he talked about high school and junior high schools, which are teaching kids about picking stocks. All right. Tell us more. Well, I thought it was interesting. They gave them a game. And before you conclude that the game has fostered a bunch of Warren Buffett, you need to understand that many of these young portfolio managers, what they were trying to do, they were trying to beat the market over a 14-week period by taking as much risk as possible. (laughs) So So they weren't being real real investors. (laughs) uh, Well, so... The uh, the SIFMA Foundation was the one that was behind this. The SIFMA, S-I-F-M-A, Foundation, which is a nonprofit educational affiliate of the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, they set this thing up. There were 4,400 teams of students from high schools and junior highs around the country. They competed to earn the highest return on an initial $100,000 of make-believe money. The top 10 teams got an all-expenses-paid trip to Washington, usually including a private meeting with members of Congress. Now, when I read about this from Jason Zweig, I thought it was interesting, but I thought it was a very sad commentary that we'd even be 
teaching children about uh, speculative greed, which is really what they were doing there, taking That's as much right. risk as possible. Much better to teach them the basic conservative aspects of wealth accumulation uh, so that they too one day could be a middle class millionaire. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm so happy that some schools are teaching uh, about investments at this young age. It it really is uh, erasing or uh, you know financial illiteracy and starting at an really earlier is. age, so that even young people who you know at this age and stage uh, feel just very beginning. entitled. And that's, yeah, <laughs> to that's, have that, all the gadgets and widgets, but it's good for them to learn such things. That's the good news, Linda, that there is an attempt to deal with the financial illiteracy that we fa- faced when we were opening up this radio show in 1990. Our main goal on WPTF was to address the financial illiteracy that was blanketing the uh, the research triangle in eastern North Carolina. We, we would find uh, CPAs that would come to us as clients and attorneys and even business professors that really don't, they, they were financially illiterate as far as understanding the basics of of, uh, of investing, of wealth accumulation, of reading their pay stubs and everything. So I'm happy to see that there's an attempt to go ahead and deal with it. I don't think they're dealing with it correctly, but at least they're attempting to deal with it. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's impressive and uh, useful and time well spent. Call right now, 919-860-9783. Have time to squeeze in another call for the Lewis's tonight. For Money Matters, 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Linda, um, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I think, Linda, you specifically. But um, sometimes our clients are faced with the realization that the their spouse is has been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness and we have some helpful hints as to how to prepare for the loss of a spouse and we've brought those tonight thought maybe we, we might go over those yeah because a lot of financial planners certified financial planners have never really dealt with this but if you've been doing this as long as we have we have dealt with this many times clients whose spouses have been diagnosed with a terminal illness the benefit of time to prepare and make any long-lasting decisions is prior to death. And that time frame can be 30 days or six months, but it's crucial to do it right. Before the death, make sure that the like, the, 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 the likely surviving spouse has solid knowledge of things like asset titles, life insurance policy contacts, potential social security benefit changes, retirement account beneficiaries, and even things like whose name is on the utility bills. Yeah. A first step is probably for uh, the client facing the very near prospect of losing their spouse to determine how all the assets are titled. I know you and I will often spend um, a a large part of that meeting just identifying who owns what and where it's supposed to go. That's right. You know, remember all the planning you and your spouse did. It's time to make sure that it works. Well, everyone, have a wonderful week. We will hear, uh, you'll hear from us and we'll hear from you next Sunday night at 6 p.m. And don't forget, your financial future matters because your financial future is at stake.
listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on 